This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we have a guest who's been with us a number of times before, from a long time ago, the old days when we were talking about things like indigo children. And now uh, we've talked about many things over the past few years. I believe PMH Atwater was with us first in 2008. Now it's 2023, so we've been friends for a while. Uh, she's got a remarkable new book out. She's become one of the world's leading experts on near-death experiences. And I'd like to welcome you to Dreamland, PMH, PMH Hi. Atwater. There she is. Hi there. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the new book is called Edgewalker, and it is The Many Lives and Deaths of PMH Atwater. And we're going to explore this very carefully because this is a person who has been there and done that. And because of all of her personal near-death experiences, she has become an, a, a, one of the world's leading experts, as I said. There's something at the beginning of the book that I think is very important that PMH says, trust only what you can verify yourself. Nothing else is true. And I think that's been one of the great signals of your whole life. Tell us about your, your, your early years and World War II and beginning to get into, uh, just, just let's just let you roll for a while. Tell, tell us about where we, we, you come from. Well, first of all, it was Dr. Kenneth Ring who insisted I write the book. He said, we know a lot about your research, but we don't know you. So that book took me five years to write, five different versions. So um, please know it was difficult for me to do. Um, my life begin begins in uh, around one o'clock um, in the very early, early morning. I was born maybe about three quarters of a mile from the great huge Snake River Canyon. So Edgewalker, you bet I'm an Edgewalker. I've walked a lot of canyon walls. Uh, I was born to a woman. Um, gee, in, in those days, um, illegitimate children, uh, uh, having a, a baby out of wedlock was considered a crime. And my mother was punished for that. Um, and uh, um, she wound up um, uh, w with a room with Norwegian people, songs, S-O-G-N, from the Song of Fjord. And I, they more or less took me over. So I spent, <laughs> I, I spent my uh, ba babyhood in their bedroom, not my mother's bedroom. So, so, so I was raised by them. I did not know my mother was my mother until I was four years old. I thought the songs were my parents. So that, that gives you a, a sort of a, a way of, of, of looking at my life as being very, very different. 
but also bear in mind, I was born before World War II. So we've got the war years. We've got Hitler. We've got what I call his goose steppers. We've got Pearl Harbor. And I had to walk uh, from where, where I was staying to, to my school. And it was a long walk, a very long walk. And in those days, if anybody died in, your, um, in the war effort in your family, the government supplied you with a large gold star decal, which you put in your living room window to let everybody know, um, you, know you know, what happened in your, in your family. And literally, my walk to school every, every morning was the walk of death because there was all of these gold stars in people's windows. And this one morning, um, it was like four, it was like maybe five or six new gold stars overnight in this person's window. And I just stood there and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Oh my, in one family. In one oh. family. And, and I, I was just horrified. And, you know, I can't, Whitley, I can't recall a single morning when I didn't have to quiet my sobs and shut my shutters you know, just to walk in the door of my classroom. That's first grade. Then added to that, <laughs> I was born with stenesthesia and dyslexia. So I was the only kid in school who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. And Are you still like that? <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I am. Not as not as much as I was, but yes, I'm still like that. I do indeed have stenesthesia. And, and, you know, what we know now is many, many near-death experiencers. Um, that's part of the after effects of stenesthesia. In other words, the limbic system in your brain alters and changes how you view the world and what you are able to speak and see. But I was born with that. So, you know, my classroom years sitting on top of that stool with, with a, having to wear a dunce cap as a, an example of a bio, bad child who told lies. Um, at the end of that year, I was just so angry. I, I was, Whitley, I was just so angry. I, I decided that I never wanted to be an adult when I grew up because adults are stupid. <laughs> yeah, I can understand why you would decide that. So my growing years were very much tied to what I can prove, what I can see, what I can hear, what I can prove. I then uh, finally married, had three kids. Ah, yes. Well, let me let me go back just a moment to the synesthesia. Uh, can you describe what that's actually like? What do give us an example of what a color like blue smells like to you? Icy. Icy. 
And does it, do you see it as well? Do you see the colors? Well, not, not as much now as I used to, but I did smell them. Mm -hmm. And to me, blue was, was ice. It had this smell and feeling and um, it, it was an icy color. <laughs> Interesting. This is fascinating. I've never really spoken to anyone who had this before. Um, and uh, we have a, a ghost in this show, by the way, folks. It's not. It's on my side, not on PMH's side. And I don't think she can hear it, but you probably will be able to. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it, as you well know. Now, my my listeners uh, are aware of the fact that the show is dogged by weird electronic interference, and this is not an echo. It's a, it's some kind of a feedback inside my system, and we'll just have to get a sound man here to fix it soon. Are you sure it isn't, Dan? <laughs> I no, I'm not. I, I'm not sure of anything. So you get married, and now this life. This is we're talking about a very difficult life here so far. You 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 have the confusion of discovering at the age of six that the people you thought were your parents aren't your parents, and your mother is this other woman that's living there that you don't really know very well. That's so. Very true. You're very and, confusing. Uh, and you know, you, <laughs> as best I can. <laughs> you mentioned Ken Ring, and Anne, my wife Anne and I years ago funded a study for uh, that he did that of, of close encounter witnesses and the Omega uh, Project. Yes, exactly. And uh, he found the one consistent thing about them was that they had traumatic childhoods. Now, I don't think you've ever had any close encounters or sightings or anything like that, have you? It's not mentioned I in the book. Very def definitely had a very traumatic childhood, not because of that. Yeah, exactly. What I had to face in the war years. Right. And, and that was everywhere, uh, really difficult. And my, my own differences in, in, in myself having to be um, listened to and, and being able to live in the world. It, it, it was difficult for me to live in this world. It really was. Uh, you, you, you'd go to a movie, for instance, um, Saturday morning movies in Twin Falls, Idaho, and you, you get the, uh, you know, your cowboy stories and you, uh, you get the adventure stories and always there is news and the news is always hitler stomping away on on his podium and his goose steppers going by that's what i called them and and all of where you know everywhere outside were these posters buy war bonds and everybody was concerned about the war that's all that's that's all you know air raid drills we often had air raid drills and and uh, when the drill master came to your door and knocked on your door of course you had to answer uh, there could there could not be any light in your home at all if you were smoking you were fined no my word so that that's pretty intense but so you had a you had a <laughs> a, a sort of essentially traumatic childhood 
Now you grow up and you you find a husband, you find a family, you create a family, and I want to repeat a quote that E. e. Cummings uh, from E. e. Cummings. That's a wonderful quote that's in the book. It takes courage to grow up and turn out to be who you really are. Oh, amen, amen. Yeah. Now, why did you put that quote in this book? Because it was very, very difficult to figure out who I was. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought you would say. No, absolutely. So, and and what saved me was um, an attorney's secretary said you she knew this guy who was um, uh, a handwriting analyst for the sheriff's department and um, would he would I give him a sample of my handwriting so I just copied a paragraph out of the phone book and mailed it to him forgot all about it and um, a month later he wrote back and he kept saying you're in the wrong job you are in the wrong job. You need to be a writer. And I said, me? I've never done any yeah. writing. He says, you need to be a writer. So I finally, you know, the, the, the idea for me was, like it says in the Bible, for those, those who knock, the door is opened. So I started knocking on doors, that is to say, meeting people. And really, in the downtown streets of Boise, Idaho, I would stop people at random and say, do you know anything about a writer's club or, or people who know anything about writing? And the third person I stopped did. Oh. Get the name and phone number, so I called her up, uh, attended my, my, my first meeting of the Idaho Writers League, and I, I really, I felt, I felt like I was on another planet. They were inventing people, happy people, just wonderful people, angels as far as I was concerned. And you had to submit three works in order to be um, even considered. And on the night when my, when the, when um, I was considered, um. This fellow who was writing professionally for the Saturday Evening Post said, I vote her in. She's a natural born writer. Oh, well. I put it in. It's like, whoa. That's and, wonderful. And it all started with uh, with kind of throwing your fortune to the winds. Uh, absolutely. We, we and, have to take a little break right now, PMH. And we'll be right back. And when we get back, we're going to be talking more deeply about a life that makes some very sharp and extraordinary turns. We'll be right back. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me 
It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. We're talking to PMH Atwater. Her new book is Edgewalker, and her website is pmhatwater.com. You can connect with her there. Uh, the Many Lives and Deaths of PMH Atwater. So you, are, you have become a writer by literally throwing caution to the winds and just asking people on the street. Amazing. Yes. Yes. You built your life on that. Yes, I did. And during the process, I just started, um, psychic things were always very familiar to me. I, I, I was born that way. I, I, I was born a scientist and I was born as a psychic both at the same time. Both, both, both. So I, I started kind of trying to um, um, hold meetings for other people who might be interested. And during this process, created Idaho's first, uh, I, I went to the Eternal Gen uh, General, uh, our, uh, Idaho's first metaphysical corporation by the name of Inner Forum. We handled people by the thousands, literally by the thousands. Um, it went on for seven years. During this time, everything skyrocketed for me. Just now, now let's 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 get back to your motivation here, because you're suddenly you're writer. You're in the Iowa, Iowa Writers Group or, or Caucus, and now there's a shift to the metaphysical. Why was that? It was just there. So I ran with it. It was I, in you. It was somewhere in you. Um, I was seeing it in other people. I, I was feeling it in myself. Mm -hmm. I, was, I wanted to know more, 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 more. And the way to do that is to talk to people, to have um, meetings, to have classes, to do all kinds of things. And we did. Uh, taught people uh, people how to do out of body traveling. We, we, we did it all, and then and then I decided that it needed to be incorporated um, to make it legitimate that this was yeah. not some funny little flyby. What, what was the time frame of this? When were you doing this? Oh, gee, when was I doing this? It must have been. Um, see, I, I died. Yeah. Okay. It, it would have been the um, the early and mid seventies. Okay. Very few people are going to pause and date something by looking at one of their deaths. We'll get to <laughs> PMH's deaths in a little while. So this is the early seventies, and this sort of thing is not all that. Uh, not all that well known in the early seventies, but 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 it's building and uh, we made it well known. We made it well known when 
Well, yeah. like, people, you know, we have, people came by the thousands. That's so fascinating. This, there was this pent up demand out there. And and what what was your what was your calling card? What did what did they see that drew them to you to the group? An opportunity to f find out more about the unknown worlds, to find out more about themselves and what they were capable of doing. Uh, we, we even went on ghost haunting trips. You know, I mean, you name it, we did it, and people loved it. Of they, course. They just poured and they loved it. And we were doing well and I was doing well on my job. And my husband decided suddenly to leave and he left. And so I, there I am with the, the three children, children all by myself. And um, I just reached a point where I'd have enough. So I, <laughs> believe it or not, I decided to become a bank manager. I just, okay. I'm going to leave it all, just leave it all and become a bank manager. And when I did, I'd, I'd been in the, in the school for a, a little while. And all of a sudden I am raped. Uh, I, I became pregnant, lost the baby. We're now in late um, 1976. Um, I died twice. I died three times, literally, totally died three times. First one was uh, January 2, 1977, January 4, 1977. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's back up a little bit because before this, you were in the, you were working in, this metaphysical group and teaching people things like out of body experiences. So, I worked out on it. did you have them at the time yourself? Oh, sure, sure. sure. But you understand how how many people would like to have them and don't. Can you tell us a little bit about how you learned to have out of body experiences? They were they were just there, uh, uh, um, but to do it. On schedule, we set up weekend, actually, they were three-day um, classes where we would all get together with, with uh, sleeping bags, and we had a psychic there who could see, and we'd set up these, these, um, these problems where you would go to such and such a house and then describe what you saw. And... Um, We'd write it down, everything that we saw. Then they would call, they would call that that person at the house by phone. So all of us could hear and and we could find it out wh whether or not we were right because it's uh, the person in the house. Yeah, I understand. And and we did a lot of that until we all be became proficient. Uh, uh, what, what technique did you use to get out of the body? It was a lot of what, what you might call meditation. That is to say, getting um, to that point where everything is open 
and you are now um, being able more and more and more to leave your body, getting to the point where you can sit up and look around. Your body's still lying down, but you're sitting up looking around. And then getting to the point where you can leave your body and fly around the ceiling. So um, we drilled on this until we were ready to uh, handle these problems or these situations that were set up, uh, different houses, uh, people in them. And, and, and then we were told nothing more. So it was up to us then to go to the house, um, find out about colors, designs, how it was set up. And uh, um, whether the person, you know, what was going on in the house. And um, then after that was over, you know, we all did it. Then the head of our group then would call by telephone, the people in the house. And then rattle off what we all saw or, you know, on and on and on. And then the person in the house could say yes or no. Um, and we did a, a number of houses, a number of people to f find out whether or not we were actually there, whether or not what we saw was true. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful way to learn. Um, you, you know, it, it was a great way to learn how to do it. I got to the point where um, I later became a hip hypnotherapist and uh, did a lot of stage work where you're hypnotizing the person on the stage and then taking him into past lives and this kind of thing. Uh, you name it and I was doing it. Ghost oh, houses. I was, I was doing it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should say so. And that's one of the reasons you're here because you really are a very remarkable human being because not many people do it all. But PMH Atwater has really done it all and uh, comes to us in a, a very strange way with an unusual brain, obviously, because of the synesthesia and the uh, other factors and a troubled, difficult childhood, trauma in your, your married life, the sudden disappearance of your husband and all of those things. Those things are about those things are about living life, and they have tremendous energy, and that energy can go in a lot of different directions. In your case, that energy went to expanding the frontier, and that is, that is the edge walking part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so interesting because that's a choice you make somewhere inside yourself. Sure. How can you tell us when you were enduring these traumas, what kind of choice was going on? Because most people would just embrace the scar tissue and go on down the road with a who knows what PTSD or something, not do what you did. I was all I would always find a better way. Always, always find a, a better way. Uh, I, I was very deeply, deeply in love with God. 
um, that source, that force was personal to me. It was real to me. And I filled my life with prayer and joy and you name it. And I did it, including, you know, climbing all those canyons and the canyon walls out in the desert with, with the, the desert keepers. You know, when you're out in the Idaho deserts, the southern Idaho deserts especially, um, there are so many keepers out there. What are and, keepers? Um, um, sort of like people, only not. <laughs> uh, spirits that, that you... Uh, <clears throat> You you can talk to and 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 um, you know. <laughs> Do they ever become physical? Sure. Okay, I agree with you because I've realized just as we're talking, I've had that experience too. Sure. It, 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 in the desert, in the Mojave Desert, about three years ago specifically, and and now listen to all that funny noise that's erupting out of the. You can't maybe you can't hear it, PMH. But my listeners will hear it, and it—it's something to do with what we when we talk about the dead. It sounds—it's very strange. That, well, that but uh, three years ago, I went to the Mojave Desert and spent a few nights in an isolated cabin at the end of a ten-mile-long dirt road, all alone. And people came in in the night. And then, but then the next morning I went to breakfast in the town because I hadn't brought enough food with me. And there was a, there was a person there who didn't look exactly like the people who had come in. I thought the people who'd come into the house were, were a dream, but she knew me obviously. And I could be recognizable. I'm somewhat recognizable. Uh, because of my television appearances. But this was different. And she and the man she was with were watching my every move. And I left the restaurant after my breakfast. And as I was leaving, to my amazement, they were standing not, they were not sitting in the restaurant anymore. They were standing at the door, but I hadn't seen them leave. And the woman looked at me with this fierce, expression on her face and the man said to her quietly just let him go <laughs> yes. those were keepers weren't they you're keepers sure okay tell us more about keepers because i'm really fascinated <laughs> um there is not a spot uh, on earth where there isn't a spirit keeper of some kind whether they are uh, um whether or not they're in the form of a human being or whether they have other forms. They're, they're everywhere, absolutely everywhere. As a child, I would sit on a, um, a, a big log that was in a higher, uh, higher pasture and, and I would just simply look at, at what was in front of me and suddenly a mountain would build it, it you can completely see through it but it would build it would build up up too high and i could hear them um i couldn't they they didn't have any 
eyes and nose and hair. But I could hear them and talk to them, and I called them the spirit keepers. And and they told me that there is no spot on earth where there is not a spirit keeper. That that, that they keep that that energy um, together so that planet Earth can um, continue. Uh, to be the planet that we know. Without the spirit keeper, there's no one there to really nourish and help the materialistic of, of, our, of our planet. Well, we've got a lot of problems with our planet right now, so they must be working <laughs> overtime. I hope they. I hope they don't quit. Well, that, that's the kind. That's the kind of life I had until I died. You know, okay, we're, we're, that's, a, that's a good good point to take another break. We're going to take our second break right now, and we will be right back. And when we do get back, it's time to talk about PMH Atwater's many deaths. We'll be right back. My new book, Them, has now been out since March of 2023. I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception, those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? And the answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so, and so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience, and this is getting more and more important over time more and more important them i saw the future when i was writing that book didn't know i would but i did you can read it now and see for yourself this is whitley strever listen to me now from june of 2010 talking to alan lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I worked with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. 
And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to PMH Atwater. Her new book is Edgewalker. Her website is PMHAtwater.com. You can engage with her there. Buy the book. Uh, it's a full of wonderful wisdom and great stories about a really, really unusual life and an unusual person who started out more than a little weird. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> and uh, this is different. <laughs> just a bit different. Yeah, exactly. Now let's talk about your first, the first time you died. Well, you know, I was raped and um, miscarried. So the first first death was January 2, 1977. Second one was January 4. Third one was March 29. And then later that year, I had three major relapses. Um, I had to learn how to crawl, how to walk, how to stand how to rebuild my life from scratch. These, these, these experiences that I went through wiped my mind clean, just wiped it clean. So I had to relearn everything from scratch. So what happened? You had a miscarriage and then obviously health issues afterwards. Yeah, it, it just took away everything. So it was so, the loss of blood or were you, did you have sepsis or? <laughs> the brain, everything. In other words, I had no idea what a phone was. I had no idea what a newspaper was. I had no idea who I was. Was it, the rapist ever oh, caught? Or? Well, you know, he came back into my life just before the 29th of March. This of this year? Of that year. Of that year, okay. 
1977. And it'll blow, uh, it'll blow you away what happened. It's in the book. He came and he said, found out where I was then living, walked into the house, said his daughter was raped. And it so infused him and maddened him that he decided to rape a woman himself to find out what it was like. And then he walked out. You know, and I'm just standing there so stunned. I, I just... He could have beat me up. Uh, and and I, I literally died. I fell. I died. It was my son who found me later. Um, I, I left the planet. I left. Oh, I just left everything. I, I, I did not want to come back. I was through with life. I was through with all points of life. I knew that my children would find a good life. And that uh, I wanted nothing more of planet Earth and being a human being and none of this gone, gone, gone. Well, what I what I found in that third near-death experience so stunned me that I was in I, I was in awe. What of what was in front of me. And then I heard this voice speak very, very loud. And it said, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. It didn't talk about book one. I don't know what that book was. I think maybe coming back to life, my first major book. Then it, it it talked about future memory, that I was to write future memory. The, future memory is not a book, by the way. It's a labyrinth. Uh, yeah, I think we've talked about it before on the show. Yeah, go ahead. Labyrinth. Then book uh, three, a manual for developing humans. How many of us know that Hugh was the ancient sound or tone of God. So human was God, man, God, woman. Um, so the book helps you in very easy ways to be who you are. You are a, a co-creator. Um, you are part of God. You are. Absolutely. That's very true. And discovering that is a, a tremendously freeing thing because it makes you realize that your ego isn't you. Yeah. And, and one of the first things any near-death experiencer has to learn afterward is how to talk and how to think because you're different. And so the book right away teaches you how to talk and how to think. And it does so in fun, wonderful ways. And it's full of thought form drawings. So get that, those two major books. Um, yeah. Uh, and on, you know, it, it just uh, st started this drive I had to find other near-death experiencers. And I did for years. And then Kenneth Ring found out what I was doing. 
um, invited him, uh, um, asked to stay overnight one weekend with my husband and myself. I'd since married by then uh, to Terry Atwater. And he came over, the, the, uh, spent the weekend, saw what I was doing. And I, I had easily 700 people by then. And and he, he said, you know, he says, you know more about the near-death experience than anybody else. You've got to go up to Connecticut and meet your peers at the at um, the International Association of Near Death Studies. They they they'd just been in existence like three months, and and so I did. I went up there, and, and I, I tested their files and the people they met with my own files and the people I had met, uh, and found out, you know. Everybody is talking about unconditional love, unconditional love, unconditional love. When my files were full of people who, who went through great pain, divorce, uh, all kinds of, of, of difficulties. And I began to see that this idea of in, unconditional love is true. But getting to that point and staying to that point and understanding that point demands that we rethink and and reconfigure and redo our lives and that can be difficult uh with near-death experiencers between 71 percent to 80 80 percent wind up in divorces within seven seven uh, years of their experience. Yeah, they do change profoundly. My wife had a near-death experience and changed profoundly. They do. But for and, the better, I mean, we were closer than ever after her NDE, so. Well, that's what the book is for, a manual for developing humans to yeah. help you th- then be able to handle this or anything like this and, you know, kind of figure out what it's all about. And uh, yeah. so I've been, I've been, I've been doing this absolutely every day, every day. And I, you know, my research base now is nearly 5,000 adults and children. I mentioned in um, uh, Lancet Medical Journal, you know, I've really been a good solid researcher. And then Whitley, hold on to your hat. Last year, August. Um, mid-August, 3.15 in the morning, that voice came back. The, the uh, you know, the voice, March 29th. Yeah. I remember the, you just came yes. back, Came back and it said, you are now, you now must research all those near-death experiencers who either during their experience or within one year after their experience faced something alien wow that 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 one year it it has to be that one year because after that year lots of near-death experiencers you know did yeah exactly question uh before before their near-death experience some of them were uh, you know 
saw spaceships. That particular year is is really um, special for some reason. I don't know yet, but I'm going to find out. So if anybody in the listening audience, near-death experiencer, who during their experience or within one year afterward experienced something alien, I need to know about you, get a hold of me at PMH at pmhatwater.com. If you send me your experience, please send me permission to use because I can't do anything without permission from you. Uh, You'll be given a number and um, a a nickname or, or, you know, a single name of some kind. Um, I'll be working on this for certainly the rest of this year, maybe into next year, uh, and we'll we'll see where this leads. I don't know. Um, But isn't that an overriding theme in your life? You always go to the edge. You don't know, but you do it anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And all kinds of incredible things have happened. And you're guided by this voice. Uh, Free Dreamlanders, we have come to the end of our time together. Uh, Subscribers, we will keep on keeping on. Uh, Do get PMH's book. wonderful book, Edgewalker. You've seen the cover now a number of times as we've gone through the show. You can get it through unknowncountry.com or your local bookstore or any of the websites that sell books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's available everywhere. Well worth your time. And especially if you have been a near-death experiencer, this is a good new beginning for you. Visit PMH on her website pmhatwater.com thank you whitley love you and to hi <laughs> thank you you've been listening to dreamland be sure to tune in again next week dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers our theme music is the o of pleasure by ray lynch Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.